Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is Hi, and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Monday, February the 8th, 2016. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. This is day eight of our first intensive here in Orlando, and things are rocking. I'm not sure if we're ever going to get through all the material, though. <laughs> welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. We're honored that you're here to be with us, and that we get to uh, to play with you at the next level. Do you want to mute your phone, The next level of, uh, of understanding these tools of forgiveness and uh we are just in this uh, really awesome, sweet space of moving forward in the intensive in a way that's just uh, so sweet and so empowering. Uh, I'm not sure whether she might be available to talk to us or not, but we had one, one woman in the intensive who just had this monumental opening of... Uh, of seeing beyond the world of um, of things and stuff, you know, we're, we're continuously talking about we live in this energetic world, and what we're here to open people to is an experience of being energetic beings. And uh, she was just sharing us in class with us in class that uh, last night she had that opening and started to see energy and and just just a whole different a shift that uh, it's pretty exciting to watch people go through. And, of course, the project is that of uh, of recognizing that as human beings, and, and we have a definition for that word, hold a newborn child, you know what a human being is. You know, people, people oftentimes will say to me, well, Michael, what is love? Tell me what that is. It's like, you know, there isn't a bucket of words big enough that you can put together to make what that word means. It just isn't. It isn't describable. But if you hold a newborn child, you'll know what it is from direct experience. And that when we come into the world, we all start exactly that way. And the whole focus of this work is to take one back to that ecstatic experience of connection to 
that pure presence of love that we are without reference to all the enculturation of the that the culture gives us all the uh, the brainwashing the hostility the fear the grief the rage the sadness the drama the trauma and to recognize that by forgiving those things by letting go we enter into a different experience one that you know there really isn't word for and one that leaves us freeing ourselves from the games of the culture. So it's pretty exciting to watch that happen. Uh, it's really a blessing. And I actually talked with Gail this morning. Gail, if you remember, was with us and and walked us through. And we did the AA uh, program, the uh, recovery information. We did about a week of that. And uh, so several times she's been able to, uh, to tie in quotes and ideas that uh, – come out of that program with exactly what we're doing and exactly what's moving here. So it's been pretty cool to have her input. She had some nice pieces of the puzzle, and we'll uh, we'll cover those on uh, Addiction Recovery Wednesday and uh, see that uh, there's a such a deep tie-in with that first century process with the, uh, the first century Aramaic process of forgiveness. And so we're honored and blessed that you're here to be with us. And uh, Jimmy, uh, is Dr. Tim with us? Yeah. Well, let's say hello to the young man and see how he's doing and what's exciting in his world. I'm doing very well. I had a a busy and uh, productive, loving weekend. I spent some time with my mother yesterday, and she's she's a football fan. So you might imagine what we did. Big game, eh? And and we ended up watching the Super Bowl and talking about various things in the past. Her father was a football player, and so it was very, very nice. And one of the things that absolutely the most powerful thing for me in the entire Super Bowl watching experience was I sat there, and I watched, I realized they they spend, I think it was $5 million for a 30-second commercial or some some bizarre thing like that. And this is a full-minute commercial, so probably $10 million worth of advertising to sell a drug that is only being sold to us because we might have the side effect from opioid painkillers of constipation. And if you've got the constipation that comes from the opioid painkillers that your doctor gives you, you can take this drug to have freedom in your life. And I just, that was the most impressive thing of all the pageantry and all of the hoopla and all the music. That is what stuck with me most. So, That's amazing, isn't it? it I, and, and the fact that I mention it to a few people since then, and they say, yeah. And I say, no, 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 we've got to quit saying yeah to that. We have to start saying no. This is, this is a level of insanity. <laughs> yeah, sell me a medication whose only purpose is Great. to help get rid of the effects of another medication that you've already sold me. So yeah, Pretty bizarre. Take, take the red pill, take the blue pill. 
go down the rabbit hole. Anyway, it was it was a lovely time with my mother, and um, I had um, the experience of listening to several different uh, internet shows over the weekend from the past, and you know, stimulating brain cells about times that we've had, times that Sonny would call in, and times that Michelle would be there with one of her uh, clients in the room, and. So it was. It was. I have lots going on, and um, I have a uh, the, the the Unity Church in Woodstock is transitioning because their minister has retired, and he's done it the right way. He gave lots of notice, and he hooked them up with the Unity Village to. And start them on a transition process, and so the transition process um, has as one of its primary components a book titled "Eye of the Storm." And the book "Eye of the Storm" is written capital I space O F the storm, and it's about conflict and how to recognize conflict, move into and through conflict using everything you know about God, light, love, yourself, your being as as the being of love, and finding your center and using conflict as the warning device that something needs to change inside you rather than that everyone and everything around you has to change. And that this this sense of conflict that we get from inside ourselves is just a warning, an alarm system, to get us to tune into our true nature and then extend that in the situation and watch how conflict turns into resolution and conflict that's turned into resolution in a relationship turns into healthier, more loving, more connected relationships. So... So that's another thing that's going on is and, and I and I can highly recommend the book. It's a very simple read. It's relatively short. Uh it might be an a bit off putting for some people if they're not right out of the unity tradition, but it's just general you know, I mean the the the, the primary idea is there's one presence and power in the universe, it's God. It's the energy of love, it's the energy of creation. And a lot of religions talk about that. You know, there is only God, etc. And if that's the truth, then if you stick with that observation, then there are all of these other corollary observations, which mean, which lead us to observe that no, no one's really out to get us. And even if they are, it's only about their own pain. It's It's not that they really have anything they can do to take anything of value from me or that they have anything of value that I need that I have to be beholden to them for. So some fundamental observations, fundamental principles, and so uh, it's a very nice book about conflict. And um, so that's my two cents for today. Cool, cool, sweet. It was interesting, a couple of weeks ago when we were at uh, Unity and uh, on the Bay in Miami, the minister there who used to be one of the executives at Unity Village 
when he introduced me on Sunday morning to do the service, uh, acknowledged that uh, the first time he heard this idea of responsibility uh, was for me at Unity Village when he was a student in the school, and uh, that acknowledged that uh, we were pioneers at Unity Village for moving people into process work and, and taking responsibility. At, at one point, actually, the uh, the curriculum in the uh, the whole ministerial program, they were considering my work, and then there was someone else who worked at the village who, who had something that they wanted done, so they ended up going in that direction. But uh, but the gentleman who wrote that book actually wrote it. Uh, he had done a, a full week of workshops, and uh, he was minister at uh, Unity in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and uh, wrote that book in, in part based on um, a week that he spent with us at uh, Fayetteville Unity back several years ago. So, so Gary, it's pretty cool to see that coming forward. Yeah, Gary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, he's I really you know, moved like a, into. Well, that's that's why it's so, you know, that makes really good sense about why it was so compatible and I felt so comfortable sharing it here today is because it's it's about love and acceptance. And it's about going within and asking for the guidance from within rather than trying to change someone or something outside of me. And I just wanted to let exactly. people know it's it's Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S, the eye of the storm, embracing conflict, creating peace. Yeah, it's good good stuff. And Jeannie was just clarifying and and we were introduced by Chris, who was the minister at Unity on the Bay, but Gary had written it after a, a week of uh, of workshops in uh, in Fitville, Arkansas, several years ago. So yeah, and he's uh, he's just moved throughout the whole Unity movement, really supporting churches who, when they make a transition, you know, people feel all their unresolved family dynamics, their abandonment, their fear, their rage, all you know, all the family dynamics come up, and uh, so he's got a really powerful ministry happening in that regard. And it's interesting, as we were staying, actually, the the person who kind of opened the gateway for us to end up at Unity on Bay was um, a medical doctor that we know, and we ended up spending, you know, a few days when we were at Unity on the Bay, we we spent our time in Miami at his home with he and his wife. And uh, when you mentioned the opioids, uh, you know, opioids are the uh, the drug of choice for people with cancer, and uh, he's a surgeon. He, he used to teach at the... Uh, uh, medical school in Gainesville, and uh, we stayed with him when when we were in Gainesville as well. And he was sharing with us when we were there a couple of weeks ago that uh, the uh, the research is showing that the use of opioids for people with cancer. And if if anybody thinks we went into Afghanistan when there were no Afghanis on the plane that bombed New York, uh, you might want to think again because uh, that's where all the opiate fields are. And uh, there might be another reason then going to Afghanistan when there wasn't one Afghani involved in, you know, that whole thing. Gee, well, what was that about? We might want to look at the fact that there's an oil pipeline that uh, the oil barons uh, who were running the White House at that time were trying to get across Afghanistan and and couldn't, but they're there now. Uh, But uh, he was saying that uh, what they're fighting, the latest research, him being a surgeon, is that uh, opioids for painkillers accelerate death from cancer. And uh, that there's a big flap happening in the in that profession because, of course, it's a pretty big money business. So it uh, it is interesting that someone's going to spend ten million dollars to uh, give you a drug to counteract the effects of uh, of that one. 
I, you know, it'd be really nice to see every person in the world that tags themselves with the words healthcare in some way, shape, or form to, along with their treatment protocols, to offer people healing as well. And so, and it's cool to work with uh, medical people who do that. It's really pretty sweet to uh, to uh, have that opportunity. So, interesting, interesting. Well, our call-in number is 646-200-4169. And uh, if we can serve you, if we can support you, if you have a question that we can support you with, the the energy's rocking here in uh, in Orlando. We have a beautiful day. It's mainly blue skies with some white fluffy clouds. I'm not even sure what the temperature is at this point, probably in the 70s, so it's kind of nice. And we're uh, we'll be rolling down and completing the first nine days of the 16-day codependence to interdependence, and then uh, we'll take one day off and move into laws of living. And if we can support you, if, if you are interested in taking your work to the next level, we do still have a couple spaces in that workshop. And other than that, if we can support you, pick up the phone, call us. If you're on the phone line, push one. How can we support you? What uh, what can we offer you from the perspective of the first century Aramaic understanding of forgiveness that was taught 2,000 years ago by a man named Yeshua that we've had the blessing of getting to uncover and use in our own lives and pass on to others? And one of the, the conversations this morning that, that really opened up for everybody was just recognizing the enormity of the work that needs to be done to to bring a mind into understanding a mind that's been structured in a world of hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, that, that those are, you know, normal human experiences. And to convert a mind from that into one that's actually based in the active presence of love. And, of course, we are really here to convert 100% of the planet and the cheap copy of conversion is I want you to come into my church. We're not interested in you ever entering the doors of any church whatsoever related to this work. We are interested in handing you tools with which if your mind is based in and working out of hostility or fear as seemingly a normal or useful kind of thing to convert you into recognizing the only energy that fuels the human mind properly is the active presence of love. Everything else, everything, everything, everything based in hostility or fear is insane. And that can be a, a tough piece to swallow, to build the brain cells to recognize that. You know, if you go back to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, he says, in order to understand, and we could expand this, you know, let's expand the, uh, and, and it's not really a quote, but let's expand the idea, in order to understand what he's saying, to live as the active presence of love, you've got to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And, you know, I think that probably... One, I think we could assume that most everybody in the audience had what we called eyes and ears, and, and most everybody heard the word love. So, gee, what do you mean? you got to have the eyes and ears. How, but, well, of course we have those. Well, no, I don't think so. What's he saying? It's, it's, a, it's a movement from a mindset. It's a movement from a cognition, a construct, based out of content that never belonged in our structures into a cognitive state where 
everything that flows into awareness flows through the active presence of love. Now, if we look at the idea of the, the first law, where we're told, you know, that by the Greeks, you're supposed to have love for God, for neighbor, and, and, and just like you have for yourself. And if we go to the Aramaic, it doesn't say that at all. It doesn't even resemble that. What it says is that you've got to have a filter in your mind that was called rachma. That's the word they translated as love. And you can understand the confusion because that filter is one that only allows the mind to utilize intentions keyed to love in its processes. So once one has that filter active, cognition is based in love. Changes everything. And what that quote says, and, and so it's got nothing to do with God or neighbor, and it's got nothing to do with loving yourself. What that quote says is, you must maintain this filter in order to keep your cognitive guidance system, your realities, your mind's constructs based in love. you got to keep this filter open. And by doing so, you will maintain your human life. So in Aramaic, it's you must have rachma for the creator, for neighbor, in order to maintain your human life. And, you know, the enormity of doing that will be coming from a culture that's based in thinking that love is, you know, you know, put your head on the chopping block and accept my, accept my abuses graciously. Love is, you know, self-sacrifice. Just give yourself up. Don't, don't pay any attention or don't have any value for self. Just go into self-destruct mode in order to, uh, you know, uplift others. Or that love is sexual athletics. You know, to, to make that shift and to even comprehend what that word means is huge. And in the the, the the conversion to that, to even understanding what that takes or what that means is huge. Now, I, I use an example of, I want, you know, the person who's having this conversation, you know, you the listener, I, I'm going to assign you a task. I would like you to go to the equator. And I'd like you to find a man or a woman who has never seen anything more complex than a dugout canoe. And I would like you to teach them what an igloo is. You know, think about, you know, this is a a good analogy for what rachma is and, and why the Greeks didn't have a clue how to translate that or to make sense of it. And still today, most of the world doesn't have a clue what it meant. So so imagine what it takes to take a man who's never experienced a temperature below 80 degrees. You know, his whole life he swam in this river, he's fished in this river, he's boated back and forth to, you know, neighboring villages. I mean, as a child, his whole life, that's been it. So what do you suppose it's going to take to get him to understand what you and I take us for granted as a two-door igloo. You know, I say that to you, and your mind generates an image, probably includes some blocks of ice and two little hoops of openings, and there's the two-door igloo. And that's easy for your mind to 
create a picture of and for you to understand it. But what do you suppose it's going to take? What are you going to have to do to get this guy from the equator to even start to fathom that there's a place in the world where the temperature goes 60 below zero for eight months at a time? I want you to convince him of that. And and then, and let's take it to the next level. Then you're going to tell him that the river that he's always swam and fished and traveled on turns to a rock-like substance called ice. And then you're, you're going to convince him that somebody's got a saw and they cut the river into pieces and build a building out of it that people live in. I mean, this guy is just going to be rolling in the in the snow <laughs> as you as you try to I mean how do you build those brain cells how do you get somebody to even start to comprehend that it's never experienced a temperature below 80 degrees well for people who think hostility fear rage guilt grief pain drama trauma divorce hatred vengeance gossip slander murder war for people who think that's normal and a human thing to do that's the guy living in the temperature that's never experienced anything below 80 degrees to have a conversation with him as to what the word rock means what the word love even means that's why whenever somebody asks me it's like nope there's only one way I know how to define the word it's experientially because there aren't enough words. There aren't enough words big enough. Hold the newborn child. Let yourself be with the essence of that child. Now you know what love is. And that's where you and I started. And our cognitive system was never designed to carry anything other than that. But we've come to believe that's normal. You know, we've come to believe that, well, you know, I remember working with a guy last year. There's a fellow at Heartland last year. And he shared with me that his father only broke into fits of rage and abuse three or four times a year. I mean, that, you know, like, see, it was no big deal. It was only three or four times a year. And to comprehend what this sweet what's the word I'm looking for this sweet presence of being human to comprehend what happens to a human life that comes in and their first experience of being I can only think slammed with rage and then only being slammed with rage three or four times a year and then 70 years later to be saying well you know it wasn't a big deal it was only three or four times a year it's like oh my heart goes to you that you ever had that experience once because you were never designed for that. I was never designed for that. And yet, 
We live in a culture that thinks that's normal. And so to make the leap for the fellow who in the, who's at the equator to two-door igloos would be, that would be an easy, easy, easy transition compared to making the leap from murder, rage, rape, guilt, grief, hatred, trauma, trauma, viciousness are just Normal human things. They're not human. They're not normal. We're not designed for them. So we're here to hold a flag up that goes against most of the currents of the world to say those things are not human. And if you want a human life, we're going to invite you to enter into the tool of forgiveness. And the tool of forgiveness means you remove those things, those energies, those experiences from your structure. Now, nobody who's been on the other side of that equation at first can even comprehend what that experience might look like or feel like or play out like in a family system who thinks the other is just normal. It's like, like, it's not comprehensible. That's why this fellow 2,000 years ago who came to us with that experience said, the mind of man has not yet conceived of what lies in store, of what's possible. And this isn't a religious idea, it's just, we're designed to live. We're, you know, a child is designed to come into the world and experience itself as a sweet presence of love that it started out as. It's designed to experience its mother and its father as a sweet presence of love. It's designed to experience its siblings, its brothers and its sisters as a sweet presence of love. designed to experience its neighbors as human beings, as love. It's designed to experience its president, its legislators, its town fathers, its politicians, as human beings, as love. What kind of an assault is there on the sensitivity and the sensibility and what happens to the sensitivity and the sensibility when we're slammed for these energies that just never belonged in human experience. So so our vision is simple. Do you think it's possible that we might just be able to create even a small group, a, a critical mass, and this physicist Yeshua from 2,000 years ago that a little leavening leavens the whole loaf. And what he was in essence saying I would offer is that we don't have to go out and give everybody that experience. I mean, there we have a whole lot of work in seven and a half billion people to comprehend that one. But if you can comprehend, and if you can take on the task of moving in that direction, here's what a little leavening leavens the whole loaf means. My background's in physics. And to a physicist, what that means is one small particle 
can change the nature and character of a whole substance, and it will change it in an instant. You might remember this physicist saying, the world will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye, like that. So can we get enough people through the gate of understanding what we're talking about? They actually come to the point where they live as that presence of love, and together create an energy field that creates critical mass, permeates 7.5 billion people, and one morning 7.5 billion people wake up as human beings. And with that power and energy, powerful a presence of love, that powerful an energy field, what will happen is literally the frequencies held in every structure on the planet that have been bathed and normalized in hostility or fear, those frequencies are going to dissolve and dissipate, and there's going to be a transformation like you never imagined. That's the end of the world. <laughs> It's got nothing to do with it being destroyed. It's got to do with it waking up in the end of the insane world that most people live in, the world that seems normal to hostile a little bit and fear a little bit and terrorize a little bit and blah, blah, blah. So, so that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to hold the space for. One of the things that excites me in the whole process is the shifts that we see happening. You know, many of you have heard Michael Coughlin on the show with us sharing, you know, his returning from the Middle East as a military trainer, killing people and, and training others to kill people. And, you know, and, and the, the intensity of his commitment to that. You know, when he came back, he couldn't find many thrills, so he'd troll crack neighborhoods so people would attack him so he'd get a chance to use his skills at beating people to do that. Last Sunday, Michael was the presenter at CSL in Boca Raton who presented the Sunday service. Results don't get much better than that. I, you know, it's just awesome. And, you know, every conversation we have, he's like, okay, I got somebody, you know, he's doing a support group every Sunday morning at CSL. And, you know, our conversations are about, hey, Michael, about the, what about this piece? How do I get through this piece? How can I how can I support me with that one? What about this question? And, you know, it's like critical mass is coming, folks. It's on its way. Get on the train. If you're not doing your work, if you're not picking up that wake-up sheet and waking up from your rationalizations for hostility, fear, grief, rage, drama, and trauma, pick it up, go to work, and become part of the critical mass. And we're going to see things shift in a way that we, we just couldn't have imagined. And it'll happen in a fraction of a second. And you had a caller, Jeannie, but they've gone? Oh, okay. Well, we had a caller, but they disappeared or fell off the line. So if you're still listening and uh, you've got a question for us, hit one. And we'll be delighted to talk with you. Any thoughts in that uh, direction? I, I know, Tim, one of the one of the inspiring pieces that you brought to this puzzle, and someone's actually got the, I think it might be Mary that has the book here, is the, uh, the Gentle Art of Blessing and the story that that one unfolds about the gentleman who uh, was in Poland in the Nazi uh, invasion and watched his family be murdered and yet decided that he was going to live his love and the difference it made and the practicality of that. 
Uh, anything to share? Well, it you know that's a that's a story of um, you know from from history. There are probably hundreds of thousands of those, but we've got people like Candace Pert and Bruce Lipton that you know for those who are more modern and want scientific proof that every time I think a thought, it generates chemicals in my body, and the chemicals are just energy, but they've been energy that's been so slowed as to be perceptible to the senses and these scientific instruments. And they tell us that the quality of the thought I choose determines the quality of the chemical that gets generated. And when those chemicals build up in my system, I get to live with, as you as you say in some of your presentations, I then get to live with the effects, the actual physical effects and consequences of my thoughts. And um, it, it's it's demonstrable to me in the middle of my upset when I can take a breath and cancel my need to be right and cancel my need to figure this thing out, what happens in my body physically in that moment. And that's the tiniest fraction but a very real experience that lets me know there's another option. And the way I like to talk about it, I've been listening back to some of the other radio shows in the past, and I hear myself say things like, every single time I do a worksheet and it shifts my energy level from anger either to sadness or fear or from anger to calm or anger to joy, I demonstrate one more time, one worksheet at a time, that my thoughts that I choose have the power to create my experience in the moment. And if I don't like the experience I'm having, I can learn the skill to elevate myself out of the conscious, rational, figure-it-out mind to the intuitive mind and choose a different, a different approach, a different set of thoughts. And with that, transform my experience of life in that moment. And one worksheet at a time, I prove to myself that what the culture has been teaching me about how it's everyone and everything outside of me causing my upset hasn't been accurate. That's a hallucination. And it leads me on a wild goose chase that always keeps me feeling drained of energy and frustrated. And if I pick up the tool and actually apply it to a situation in my life, I remember, um, uh, what's her name? Michelle had a, a, a client in the office once when she called the radio show, and the young woman's name was Rachel, and Rachel said, so, okay, so what's an example <laughs> of what I could use this worksheet on? And she had just finished talking about doing a mind shifter that stirred up so much stuff that she was so upset that she felt she might have to go to the hospital. And I said, well, <laughs> you don't really have to go searching very far if you have have that mind shifter there. And she was talking about, you know, these gaping wounds and pouring salt in the wound. And I said, any one of those things that you wrote about in your mind shifter would be a good target for a whole series of, of worksheets or any negative repetitive thought that comes up. I think back then in that show I was talking about how um, 
when I first started this, I, I realized very easily if I got triggered to anger or upset, I should stop and do a worksheet. And then after four or five or six years of this and doing worksheets and the other work that I do and clearing out lots of energy, um, I found, you know, I, was, I wasn't getting nearly as upset and triggered about things that used to be a trigger for all kinds of upset. And I would just stand by and, and, and appreciate the fact that I was moving through life far more smoothly and effectively. And then I realized... I was watching things happen, and I was not aware of upset. I was aware of calm and feeling centered. But then, you know, three hours later, 15 hours later, two days later, I would keep thinking about that situation, and I realized, you know what? If I keep thinking about it, and I think I'm calm, I'm cool, I got this handled, but it keeps coming to my awareness, maybe that's a good target for some worksheets for me. And sure enough, when I developed that pattern, I would start doing worksheets on the event that I handled pretty smoothly when it happened. But because I kept thinking about it, that was my alarm system telling me there's more here, and I would do some worksheets on it and uncover deeper upset. And so I used all of those in, in talking to Rachel and saying, so you know, you can use any of those things, negative emotion in the moment, a negative physical sensation, or a recurring negative thought, or just a recurring nagging thought that doesn't seem to be negative. Any of those or the situations or the people that seem to be the triggers in those are really good targets for my worksheets. And when I do that, one worksheet at a time, I prove to myself, I demonstrate to myself through direct observation that my energy, my thoughts, my emotions, my physical experience changes right then and there and nothing in the outside world none of the people involved none of the outside events my bank account didn't swell to four million dollars you know i didn't lose 40 pounds and yet worksheet by worksheet i demonstrate to myself my internal experience shifts by the application of the tool and i'm 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 enjoying that and i'm enjoying the benefits of it time and time again in my life. So I'll take a breath and see if there's any reaction to that. With a mute well, button on or my, not. I, I, I had to get to my <laughs> mute button, but, uh, but I certainly uh, join you in that, Tim, and uh, it's, uh, it's the whole essence of the work. You know what you just described is the whole essence of the work is to get into that point, and it was it was pretty powerful today where the the comprehension, the group, and the energy went to really recognizing that we could actually function without the presence of hostility or fear if we could stop pretending that somebody else is the cause of it, and that forgiveness is about removing that hostility or fear, and it goes in layers and chunks and pieces and layers. And, and returning to the space where we can actually function out of the truth of who we are as as the presence of love, and that it's a it is a a major piece of work to do, and we're here to support that and to uh, to you know anybody on the planet. I'm I'm so delighted that we have today this technology available to us that anybody on the globe that's got access to a computer can be part of this conversation. And 
can gather support. A couple of people in the radio show today were saying, you know, that that um, even at times when, you know, they're not doing wake-up sheets, that they do listen to the show every day and that that's been a real lifeline for them to stay involved in building the brain cells for the conversation and the comprehension. I've actually got a, a conversation going on with someone in the, on Facebook that's uh, that's current who uh, when they uh, put up a uh, a post on Facebook about a particular man there was a movie made about recently who's uh, considered to be a hero um, and how you know just how great it is and I posted uh, some some thoughts from his book about how he believed that killing was fun and. Uh, Claims to be, have been in Katrina and you know enjoyed shooting looters. And when I questioned the, the belief that that uh, this was heroism, they were quite assaulted and insulted. We brought up a lot of uh, a lot of insult for them, and we've had this ongoing conversation about uh, about what what it really means to be human, and that. You know, rather than there being an, any kind of an insult, uh, just just questioning that, you know, what, what have we been convinced to believe that someone who says, in his own words, in his autobiography, that killing is fun? What have we been convinced to believe to think that somebody who could even conceive of that? You know, I, I don't know if you remember back, there was a show back, oh, maybe three years ago where David was on with us and we were talking about uh, the military and such and and as a person who was in Vietnam, you know, asked him what was what was the most difficult thing for you to do? And what David came up with was the most difficult thing for him to do as a soldier was to take somebody else's life. And so so there there are lots of conversations to be had to clean up the beliefs of the culture that can lock us into cognitive realities, the brain being able to generate pictures that seem illogical and rational based in something other than love. And it's a, it's a big challenge and a big conversation to have, for sure. So... So I'm delighted that you're part of this conversation and that we just, you know, we've been having this conversation for five years. In fact, today is the celebration of the uh, first show of the fifth year, I think, isn't it? No, January 31st. Oh, pardon me. January 31st, I guess, was was the celebration of the uh, the fifth year uh, completion. Well, and the yeah, so was, we're, now, we're now in the sixth year. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was saying it was... It was very, very powerful for me last week. I've had uh, somebody in my office, and they were saying that um, they're actually the person that was asking me about um, the the gentleman who'd called in. It was Jim Farmer, but he didn't know the name, who called in about his adult son and that relationship. And I'm still hoping to get those dates and um, pull those shows and edit them. But he said it is just so cool for him his experience to listen to people call in from all over the place and ask questions and be talk about doing the worksheets and i i said yeah i, I know the feeling I, I get the same warm feeling when i 
realize that people from all over the place are tapping into this work and being able to benefit from it because of the Internet show. Um, and for a lot of time, that wasn't the case. For sure. Well, uh, for many years, you know, traveling, and if a support group didn't start, most people who started doing this work, it would just kind of fall apart because, of course, the world doesn't have a whole lot of support for, you know, you need to live as love. It's like, no, you need to have your hostility ready, man. you got to live in the real world, you know. So, so it is. And when you realize that the human world is governed by thoughts and ideas, to be able to uh, to make these ideas available on a global scale, you know, I don't know if you remember the radio show where we had talked about the movie um, The Stoning of Sonora M. Yeah. And if you, if you want a movie that will bring up worksheets, folks, get that movie and watch it or jump on Netflix. I assume it's there. It's just amazing. And we actually had a woman who called from the Middle East into the show uh, asking for support because she was in that situation. And, you know, the fact that <laughs> that we get the privilege of being able to touch people's lives like that is just, you know, to me it's just beyond comprehension of anything I ever, ever thought of as possible that we get to do. And then, you know, this week, you know, several people who listen to the radio show on an ongoing basis are here and sharing the shifts and the changes going on in their bodies and their minds and their lives. It's just, you know, doesn't get better than that. What do you think? Can you have any thoughts in that regard? Jean says she doesn't have any thoughts. So our calling number is 646-200. Four one six nine. If you have a question for us, we'd love to hear it. Well, I remember when we had our um, Dale Allen Hoffman Aramaic Fridays in um, was that twenty fourteen, and uh, yes, he was just so um, complimentary about because he knows from his own work, his own commitment um, to do his work, to spread it around, to travel. He knows what an enormous commitment it is to do this five days a week. And um, he was quite complimentary. And I often think about when you're, you know, you, Michael, and Jeannie are traveling like that and getting that kind of compliment from somebody else who does that kind of traveling. It just, that's high praise. And, of course, the benefit is, as you were talking about, you get to hear the stories and gratefully from time to time you actually get to hear the feedback from people who are benefiting from all the effort you're putting in. Excuse me, Tim. I was distracted the last couple of seconds. There, Jeannie had just gotten a text from uh, from Rex about the movie. If anybody didn't get the name of that movie, and you know, go with worksheets and uh, a big sign that you hold in front of yourself to breathe. Uh, it's the Stoning of Sonora M, and it's a true story of a woman who, uh, in the Middle East, you know, if a, a woman is found in adultery, uh, they literally 
bury her up to the waist in the in the earth, and then uh, they stone her to death. And in this case, this woman, which I understand happens very often in the Middle East when a man wants to get rid of his wife, he'll frame her, he'll set her up. And in this movie, this woman is set up by her husband, who's attracted to a, a younger woman, and he sets her up to be a caretaker for an old man in the village who's a widower, and then conveniently arranges things so it looks like she's become sexually involved with him. And so now she can be categorized as an adulteress. And the first people who are required in that scenario, in that culture, to throw the first stone, and this is where Yeshua says, that he who is without sin throw the first stone, uh, are her children and her father. And so her two boys and her father participate in stoning this woman to death. How long is this going on? How how insane can we be? And so it was pretty awesome in my mind to be able to have a conversation with this woman who was in that type of setup. Uh, we never did hear back from her on resolution or how she's doing, but to me it's just such a gift to us to have such a far-ranging of community of people who are working to hold a space of love for each other, to care for each other, to nurture each other, and to create a space where anybody can come into this space with anything that's going on for them. And know that there's a whole community, a literal global community, who are beaming, sending and when I talk about sending, I'm talking about the literal energy field of love being sent to those who are in trauma and turmoil as support for the dissolution of the trauma and turmoil. So it's, you know, the intensive space here, the, the folks that are here, and the, the energy that's moving, the issues that have come up for several people, the changes that are occurring for them, just monumental and of course when one person has something come up in the intensive you know this this particular intensive there's a, a theme like every intensive has in fact out of uh, 12 people in the intensive 11 of them have this the same either number one or number two issue on personal code evaluation and so when some of the dynamics of why that love of self was such an issue come up for one person it opens a space where everybody's healing so that's what we're here to do and Jeannie tells me we've got a hand up Jeannie 517 you're on the air give us the name where are you calling from is this Rex hi Michael hi Tim hi Jeannie yes it is hey there good sir hi I it's uh I, I was able to tune into the program late today. I just came on right when you were talking about it, Michael, and um the movie and that's why I texted Jeannie. So I apologize. I, I hope and I trust everything was cool. flowing and it's all a part of everything else. 
Um, and also just to acknowledge what Tim was saying while you were distracted, Michael, I was listening to Tim and what I thought I heard him say is what a wonderful opportunity for you to have that feedback so directly as you have as to how your impact and your work is impacting others. So just to give that, I wanted to verbalize that as well. And, and uh, uh, just that there's so much um, happening everywhere. And for you to, what, what, I didn't look at the text to see if Jeannie had sent me, what was the name of the movie again? It's called The Stoning of Sonora, S-O-N-O-R-A-M. Pardon me, S-O-R-A-Y-A. There's no N in there, Jeannie? Oh, okay. Aurora. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very powerful film. Very, I mean, just, it's one of those films when you sit and watch it in front and watch it, you got to breathe, you got to hold the space, and I mean, it's going to bring all kinds of stuff up for virtually everybody. I would think well, it would actually. Well, it did for me in uh, a moment, for sure. I mean, as you were describing it again just now, I appreciate it. It's like, wow, well, how, how, how crazy we can be, and, you know, how crazy people become, uh, you know, going through our, our own process. Well, then the impact, so that, you, and, and we've only got a minute or so left, but the, but the impact, you know, for instance, when you think about to convince a young boy that he should be picking up a rock hmm. to kill his mother over something she's been set up for by his father, like, what kind of impact, what what kind of mindset, what kind of future does a child have? And, and these two boys and the father of the woman actually enthusiastically engage because they're convinced that this is a sinner that deserves to die. But what, what does that lead to in the way of cognitive development and cognitive realities for a child to grow up with that? And, you know, we see a lot of what the conflicts are about in the world today, and it's it's based in that kind of insanity. And unfortunately, yeah, and that's the last 30 seconds or so, so I'm going to have to close the show out. I apologize, Rex, but we're complete. And uh, we appreciate everybody joining us. Uh, we hold the space that you're ready for the best year yet of your eternal life. That's a great gift to give the world. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. Aiden.com.